This is Pastor Devin, and I just want to say thanks for joining us, and I hope and pray that this message is an encouragement to your life today. Easter, Resurrection Day, the Passion Week, Pasha, for you Greek folks. Uh, what an amazing uh, time that we get to celebrate Christ's victory over death and sin, what allows us to live a victorious life, no longer enslaved to the bondage the Bible says that it so easily entrap us, ensnare us, and without Jesus doing what he did, without the power of the Holy Spirit, in and of ourselves, we have no power to live an overcoming life. To be able to, to overcome the enemy, Satan, listen, some of us have tried it, and it didn't work out so well. Jesus is what allows us to live this overcoming life. Easter actually originated way back in Exodus, uh, the beginning. And I want to this morning maybe take a different angle on this celebration of the Lamb that we just talked about. You might say, well, how, how could Easter have been celebrated prior to Jesus, prior to his death, and prior to his resurrection? Well, today I would like to look at the correlation between what Jewish people have been celebrating for years, 1400 years, the Passover, this is their Passover week, the correlation between Passover and what we celebrate and call Easter, not to insult some of your intelligence, but just to give you some context. Uh, for those of you that have never heard this story before, uh, some of us have heard it a lot, some of us grew up in church. Let me just give you some context. The story of how Passover came about, the story of the nation of Israel, Jacob. You remember the story? One of his sons, Joseph, is thrown into slavery. His brothers sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, second to command to Pharaoh, and saves their world from famine. And then the 12 tribes of Israel come out of that. Fast forward now 400 years from that moment. The relationship between Joseph and the Pharaoh is now depleted. Israel and Egypt are no longer friends. And in Exodus chapter 1, it says the Pharaoh was actually intimidated by the rate of growth of the Israelites in his nation. And, and he recognizes that they, they may be planning to overthrow his nation. And in order for, for him not to be overtaken, he then enslaved the Israelites. He puts them in slavery. You remember them? They're in mud pits, making bricks now. And out of that, the Jewish people actually make wonders of the world, pyramids, things like that. Now you enter the story of Exodus. Pharaoh is terrified how quickly they're multiplying. And because of that fear, he implements a law of the midwives in that country to kill any baby that's born. Go throw it in the Nile. And the midwives refuse to do it, but then he gets a mandate to his soldiers to actually throw all of the new babies into the Nile River. Moses' mom hears of this decree. She's terrified. She gets freaked out by it. And she puts her little boy in a basket. And she sends him up the Nile. And miracle of all miracles, he ends up being picked up by Pharaoh's sister. And she grabs the basket, takes the baby, and decides that she's going to raise that baby as her own. Later in life, Moses actually finds out that he's a Hebrew boy. He has some conflicts. He ends up killing a guy. And at 40 years old, I just turned 40 years old yesterday. Uh, I know. I know that surprises you. <laughs> Moses is terrified. He's on the backside of the desert in a place called Midian. He gets married there. He sets up a life of his own and somewhat of, of a defeated life when all of a sudden a bush in the desert talks to him. You know, you guys really should read the Bible. I mean, you could do drugs or you could do scripture. I mean, there's some tricky things that are happening in the Bible. I gotta, 
But, wow, look at all the pretty colors. I got a bush talking to me. There's fun. The bush is talking. It's burning but not being consumed. And now there's a voice that comes from it. And Moses goes up to the bush. And God talks to Moses through this bush and says, I called you. Go back to Egypt. And I want you to lead your people out of the bondage of the Egyptians. And Moses says, you got the wrong guy. I'm a murderer and a stutterer. I, I, I don't, don't speak well, God. I love this part of the story. It's God. God is notorious for picking the least likely people with the most mess in their life to do the greatest things for him. He's notorious at doing that. He's an incredible, he does it intentionally. So Moses gets convinced. He goes back to Egypt. He says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I don't think so. so Moses then proceeds to tell him that there are, there are some things headed his way called plagues. Nine of the ten plagues have taken place, and then the final one, the big kahuna, the big one of all times, Moses tells him that every firstborn male is going to die. And the death angels is going to come into their towns and cities, and every firstborn male is going to die. But God tells the Hebrew people, you remember the story? If you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your doors during the middle of the night, I will pass over you, and your firstborn won't die. You know the rest of the story. They end up leaving Egypt. The Red Sea parts. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He gets some Ten Commandments. And during this time, as God is trying to show them how to live their lives, one of the things he's helping them to understand beyond giving them law was how to relax. And God commands them to institute seven parties. Feasts. Celebrations. Stop working, eat all the food that you want, and have a good time. Don't you love that? That's my kind of God right there. Stop working and party. And one of these parties, one of these celebrations will be called the Passover Feast. And that feast is to commemorate the freedom from the Egyptians. It'll be like the Israelites' equivalent to our Fourth of July. Right? They celebrate freedom, and they call it Passover. Now, we find ourselves in Exodus 12, all of that story now. We're in Exodus chapter 12. And we're up to too far here on the story. Verse 26 of, of chapter 12 says this. And when your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? Tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Part of the Passover celebration would be get a lamb. You don't have to do the doorposting anymore. But you get a lamb, you sacrifice that lamb, and you have a celebration. Now, fast forward 1,400 years from that point. Jesus is on the earth. They've been celebrating Passover now, the Jewish people, for 1,400 years. Jesus, being a Jew, has been celebrating Passover. We're in the final week of Jesus' life, what we call the Passion Week. The Thursday night, before he goes to the cross, Luke chapter 22, he gathers with his disciples to celebrate Passover. And he says this to his disciples. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Or it could be said like this. It will never be eaten again until it finds fulfillment. And Jesus was saying for 1,400 years, we've been killing lambs, remembering and invented our lives, but it will never be eaten again because I'm telling you, I'm the last lamb. Now, they, they didn't have a clue what he was saying. 
Jesus was saying, I am the last lamb. No other lamb has to be sacrificed for 1,400 years. They've been trying to be saved, delivered, restored, and fulfilled, and it never worked. Go read it. It never worked. It never happened because they didn't have the power of Satan broken over their lives. They didn't have their sins paid for once and for all. And they didn't have the power of God living inside of them. Here's, here's the big reveal for the day. Get ready, get ready. You can't have the promises of God if you don't have Jesus. Amen. You can't exclude Jesus and have the promises of God. Jesus is at the center of all of God's promises. Luke chapter 22. And Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he said to them, this is my body. Give it for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Communion. What we call communion today revolves around this idea of remembering Christ. What he did for us. And thinking about what he did for us and what our lives would look like if he hadn't done what he did for us. Let me just say this. If you exclude God out of your life, you will live a life of frustration. Because in order for the promises of God to become active in your life and take root in your heart, you have to have Jesus in your life. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. We want to claim the promises of God in our lives and even the salvation of God without the lordship of Jesus. And you can't have one without the other. You know what? The word Savior appears 37 times in the Bible. You know how many times the word Lord appears? Over 7,000 times. Where's the emphasis? <laughs> Salvation requires lordship. You know, remember the rich young ruler? He wanted saved, but he didn't want a lord. Lordship. As soon as you include Jesus, when you remember him... You get involved in your life in the fulfillment of all of God's promises. It can happen in your life. Jesus is at the heart of all of God's promises. That's why as believers, we recognize these sacraments, the communion, the Lord's Supper. The whole goal is to remember Jesus' work in our lives. You can't have heaven. You can't have blessing. You can't have freedom. You can't have restoration or fulfillment without Jesus. Jesus. But the Bible says that no man, no man comes to the Father but through Him. And if you, if you don't believe me, just try it. Just try it. You'll be back, you'll be back next Easter. You do this. In case you were wondering, it absolutely does not work without Jesus. That's Luke chapter 22, verse 20 now. And in the same way, Jesus is still talking with his disciples there at the Passover meal after the supper. He took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus reminds them that he is the new covenant. He is the final lamb. No more lambs were going to be sacrificed from our bloodshed, but he's, he was going to pour himself out, both literally and figuratively for all of mankind. Once and for all, he was the ultimate sacrifice. First Corinthians chapter 5, Christ, our Passover lamb. The connection, 1,400 years prior, you think God knew what he was doing? The Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. Jesus is at the heart of all that God wants to accomplish in your life. It wasn't until Jesus came and did what he did on the cross that we celebrated on Good Friday that God's promises would be fulfilled. All this to say, this is so simple. Get close to Jesus and everything that God has for your life will be fulfilled. Get close to Jesus. The more Jesus in your life, the more experience and understanding of God will be in your life. You need to know Jesus. In fact, I, I love that word, lamb. That word, lamb, appears 104 times in the Bible. Ready for this? It's the most used term to describe Jesus. Lamb. 
25% of those occurrences happen in Revelation, when we're gathered around the throne of God, seeing worthy, like we did this morning, worthy is the Lamb, holy is the Lamb. So much of it revolves around the Lamb, the Lamb. The, everything is about the Lamb. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, remember when Jesus shows up on the scene? He comes walking down the seashore, John the Baptist sees him, what's he say? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One of the 104. Now, when you go back to the original text in Exodus, and here's what I want to disconnect for us this morning, if you allow me. Three things about the Passover lamb way back in Exodus that are true of Jesus. And I hope, I hope you write them down because it's, it's going to show us something beautiful about Jesus, our Passover lamb on this, on this Easter. The first thing was this. The lamb was perfect. The lamb was perfect. Back in Exodus, we'll go back to the original. To make a sacrifice during Passover, they had to find a lamb that was spotless, without blemish, without defect. A perfect lamb. Look at it, Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Every family had to have their own lamb, their own perfect lamb. Let me just connect a story for you real quickly. Remember last Sunday we celebrated Palm Sunday? Jesus comes riding into the city of Jerusalem on donkey, gets people gathering around crying, Hosanna. You know what Jesus immediately does? He goes to the temple. He goes to the temple. You remember what he does when he goes to the temple? He starts kicking over tables and throwing out money changers and whipping some people. I like that about Jesus. I see a little bit of myself in him when I see those moments. <laughs> you know why, why he was upset? Uh, there, there had been so much extortion happening in the church. So during this Passover season, four days before you would celebrate it, you would find a perfect lamb, what you would think of the perfect lamb, and you would not be able to sacrifice it, but you have to take it to the temple. And the priests would verify whether or not it was a perfect lamb. You know what they were selling in the temple that made Jesus so mad? Lambs. They were selling lambs. Because even when they would show up with a perfect lamb, the priest would say, sorry, that's not a perfect lamb, but I'll sell you one. And you can buy a perfect lamb from me. And then they would use those lambs that were perfect, that they didn't justify as perfect, and they'd sell them to someone else as a perfect lamb. That's why Jesus got so ticked off. He comes into the temple, they're doing that, they're selling lambs, and he's kicking over tables, he's kicking people out. You know, the one thing that sets Christianity apart from all other religions is this. Jesus is the only one that claims to have lived a perfect life. Sets him apart. Let me tell you why that's, why, why that's important. Because when, when you're unclean, something cannot be cleaned up by something else that's unclean. Only the clean can take care of the unclean. Only the perfect can take care of the imperfect. And Jesus is the only one that lived a perfect life, a perfect, sinless life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb. Without blemish, or Jesus is the perfect, spotless lamb. Let, let me say it this way. He's the only one who qualifies to help your life in every way. The only one. Second thing that we can learn from this Passover celebration is this. The lamb was sacrificed. The lamb was perfect, and the lamb was sacrificed. It was required that the lamb had to be sacrificed, killed. Look at it. Back to the original now. 1,400 years before Jesus, Exodus chapter 12, verse 6. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all of the members of the community of Israel must 
slaughter them. That's the, that's the more accurate word there. Sacrifice is the nice word. Killed is the nice word. Slaughter them at twilight. You say, well, boy, this is, this is kind of a downer. That would be Easter. We'll get there. You know, I love to have fun in church. I'm all about passion and energy, but I would be remiss if we didn't just pause on this Easter Sunday and remember the cross. Just, just to tell you that Jesus died. Not just to save you from your sin, but to set you free. The truth, the reality that Jesus, the Lamb, was slaughtered for you, for me. Isaiah the prophet saw this cross unfolding hundreds of years before it happened. Isaiah chapter 53 Four things. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished that we might have peace. And he was whipped or scourged and by his wounds, by the stripes that were placed upon the word, were healed. I just want to take a moment so that we all understand what happened on that day. We call it Good Friday. It was only good for us, friend. On that day, he would begin at the whipping post where Romans had studied how to do it. This was an art. This was a science. And they would take what they would call the cat of nine tape. Nine leather strips on a wooden handle. And the, the nine leather strips were in it were, were pieces of bone and rock and glass and wire tied into the strands of the leather. And they would dip those leather strands in water to make it heavy. And this was not some random, no rhyme or reason, lashing, no. Two hands embedded into the back and pull down and rip the skin away. That's the technique. 39 lashes. There's Roman law that you could not handle 40. As if 39 wasn't enough, and Jesus took all of them. 13 across the right shoulder muscle. The trapezius muscle. Is that right? Here with my muscle guy. Trapezius muscle. Thirteen lashes there. Thirteen across the other shoulder muscle. And I'll, I'll give you the reason why in a moment. And then thirteen down the middle of the spine until it was exposed, also intentional for what was to come. And then they would beam on the backs of the legs with rods, brutalizing them. Only then to be taken to the praetorium. Or the, the locker room of the guards. And it was there that the guards basically just had their way with him. Uh, blindfolded him, punched him, kicked him, spat on him, mocked him, and Jesus never said the word. Finally, they weave a, a crown of thorns four inches long and they shove it onto his head. And you would think that that would cause an immense, a tremendous amount of bleeding, but it doesn't. It actually sends the blood flow to the middle of the brain, creating so much pressure that it's the migraine of all migraines. And he was punished, it says, to bring you peace. He took the thorns, the pain. He took the pain on his head so that you could have peace in your mind. So that you couldn't have anxiety and fear and worry and depression. So that you could have peace. And then he carries a cross up Golgotha's hill. Where he was pierced. Large nails, actually more like railroad spikes into his hands. And they would tie the wrists onto the beam because if they were just to allow, to allow the weight of the body with the, with the nails, it would tear away. And they would literally tie the wrist to the beam, holding the hand in place. Then they, they pierce his feet, but almost with like a bend. 
so that you have to put some weight on your legs. Because the real goal was not to die from blood loss. The real goal was to die from suffocation. Because now you have no shoulder muscles holding you up. And now you're bent, and the only way you can grab a breath is to... <laughs> and then you slump down again because you have no shoulder muscles to hold yourself in place. And you would ride your back, your exposed spine, up the splinter cross for six hours. Six hours. Pierced. Not for his transgressions, not for anything he ever did. But for yours and for mine. And he breathes his last at the sixth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon. Even, even the Roman soldiers couldn't take the agony after a while. If you, if you had been alive after six hours, they would take a spear, put it behind your legs like a crowbar, break your legs so that you would then collapse and die of suffocation. Jesus had already given his life, they thought, from the, the torture. Just to make sure that he was dead, they would run a spear up behind his ribcage and puncture the heart. The Bible says that out of his body flows blood and water, which can only happen if your heart has ruptured. Which means Jesus didn't die from the scourging or the cross or the nails. Jesus literally died of a broken heart carrying your shame and my sin. Pierced. The lamb was slaughtered. And I just want to remind us today, those that won't hear this again for another year or think about this for another year, the one we served didn't just die for our sins. He was slaughtered for our sins. And that's why I give him my all. That's why I give him everything. So that I can have eternal. He deserves it. The third thing, the Passover lamb correlates to Jesus. The lamb is this. The lamb was shared. The lamb was perfect, the lamb was sacrificed, and the lamb was shared. This is an interesting one. I just want to show it to you in Scripture. Back to the original text in Exodus chapter 12, verse 4. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share it with their nearest neighbor. It was the law that all of the lamb, the whole lamb, had to be shared. It had to be consumed. There could not be any leftovers. All of the lamb had to be eaten. Why, why would this be a future picture that God would want you to know about Jesus? Well, it's pretty obvious. And that is that you are not only to consume the lamb, but the lamb is supposed to be shared. You share the lamb. In fact, most lambs were so small that, that one household could not eat it. So they were forced to invite people to come in and share the lamb with their family. Because families and households were too small and the lamb had to be consumed. It was law. Let me just... Take this opportunity to dispel a myth about Nashville or Mount Juliet or Lebanon, and that is this. We have enough churches. Even, even when we were starting this church, I would have people say, do we really need another church? Don't we have enough churches? And I would say, no, because there's still more land to be served. There's still some leftovers that have to be consumed. There's still some lamb for some people to have. There's some lamb that has to be shared. There's still more room at the table. We're still making table settings. At the table, we keep reaching out. We keep making another table setting. There's still more lamb. The lamb has to be shared. I want you to know there's more lamb that has to be shared. There are people in our city that have never tasted the lamb. And I would just love to declare to our city 
Nashville, Mount Juliet, Lebanon, Hermitage, Donaldson, Gallatin, Murfreesboro, Smyrna. We have a table setting for you. There's more land to be shared. We'll make room for you. All of the land has to be consumed. We're committed as a church to share the land. You say, well, what does this have to do with Easter, brother? It has everything to do with Easter. Because without the perfect lamb, without the sacrifice, and without it being shared, you have no Easter. Being raised to life. Last verse for the day. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It stands to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, that he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. Bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. What, think about that. Whatever power it took to get Jesus out of the grave. Just imagine the amount of energy it took to get him out of the grave. That same power and energy is available to you. It can live in you. And you cannot just experience Easter this, this morning. And it can be a part of the reality of your life. For the rest of your life. How do I... How do I know if I need resurrection in my life? Yeah. A couple questions for you to consider on this Easter. Would you describe your life as abundant and overcoming? The Bible says it's why Jesus came, so that you can experience the abundant, overcoming life. Is that the life that you're living? Or do you feel stuck, trapped, cycling through the same issues. Maybe you're in a hard spot spiritually. You feel far away from, and you're tired. You're tired. Tired of struggling. Tired of living the status quo life. Tired from going from struggle to struggle. And you would say that you need to be saved. Saved from yourself. Saved from whatever has trapped you. Saved from what has you stuck in a mediocre existence. If that's you, I have great news for you today. God desires for you to be close to Him. So much so that He allowed His Son, the Lamb of God, be punished, tortured, slaughtered for you. And it didn't stop there. He overcame the grave, hell, death. He was raised to life in that same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead that maybe can reside in you and inviting Jesus. You can't have the promises of God without Jesus. You have to start with Jesus. Inviting Jesus into your life is what gives you access to the promises of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thanks again for joining us. If you want to join us on Sunday, we meet at 10.30 a.m. right next to Wilson Central High School. Or check us out online at connectchurchtn.com. Thanks so much and have a blessed day.